than a speeding bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. Look! Up in the sky! It's a bird! It's a plane! It's Superman! Superman rocketed to Earth as an infant when the distant planet Krypton exploded. And who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for the Daily Planet, fights a never-ending battle for truth, justice, and freedom with superpowers far beyond those of ordinary mortals? It's Superman, Superman, Superman. The Man of Screen. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 82 of the Man of Screen podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and on this episode we're going to look at episodes 9 and 12 of season 2 of The New Adventures of Superman, and episodes 5 and 6 of The Adventures of Superboy, both produced by Filmation Studios. That will include the Superman episode, War of the Bee Battalion, the Superboy episode, Finger of Doom, and the Superman episode, The Toy Man Super Toy, and then we'll finish off the episode, the second segment, the Superman episode, The Cage of Glass, the Superboy episode, Crypto canine detective and the superman episode the atomic superman but before we get to that i have some feedback to address multiple letters this time around the first of which is written in by dave mcelveny and dave is writing in on episode 74 dave writes greetings mike these filmation cartoons seem to be picking up a bit in quality they're not great but there does seem to be some improvement it's good to see another villain toy man from the comic books making an appearance you commented that the toy man's appearance here didn't really match his appearance in the comics at the time that calls to mind the disappointment i sometimes felt when when the way a character looked on the cover of a comic didn't match the character's appearance interior art i especially remember brainiac's first appearance in action comics 242 in the super duel in space with the cover by kurt swan and stan k and interior art by al plastino brainiac on the cover is a classic silver age brainiac but in the interior he's very different with baggy clothes and no quote-unquote electrodes head. The science in these episodes is of course pretty shoddy, even by comic book standards of the time. For example, there are no apes native to South America. It's not clear why, other than alliteration, the ape army of the Amazon wasn't set in Africa or even Asia, both of which would have a lot of alliteration too, come to think of it. I do particularly enjoy the Superboy segments, mainly for the uh, collaboration of Superboy and Crypto, and also because, as in The Visitor from the Earth's Core, we sometimes see Superboy making mistakes and learning from them, something we're less likely to see with Superman. After all, we can understand that Superboy, even though Super, is still learning and gaining experience. We want Superman to not just be Super, but Super competent. Thanks, as always, for your fun coverage of these adventures live long and prosper first and foremost of course i would like to thank dave for his feedback and you know it, it kind of got by me too that uh, apes are not native to the amazon and the story probably should have been set in africa or asia both of which would have allowed for alliteration but you know what we he just mentioned in the above in that paragraph that the science of these episodes are pretty shoddy dave so why would their geography and knowledge of where certain animals are native be accurate as well and on to your point about the superboy episode yeah i also enjoy seeing superboy kind of learn on the job which is something that we're gonna see quite a bit going forward in at least the superboy versions of them i recently spoke about the great space race in which superboy made a huge blunder and almost allowed an alien criminal to get away but i definitely agree with dave one of the best things about the superboy episodes is seeing crypto work alongside superboy it's a great boy in his dog type story okay so moving on from dave i have some email from steve rogers steve isn't writing in about any particular episode but his subject is a point about filmation versus fleischer hey mike heard your comparison of the fleischer's 
being more visual based while filmation is much more audio based. Well, consider the specific mediums and time frames they were made in. The Fleischers were part of the pre-movie silver screen experience in the 1940s. Essentially what today are those inane commercial filled movie news puff or rotating trivia panels depending on the theater chain. Unless you are at an Alamo draft house where it's sort of neat stuff like old commercials or trailers or like movies over the years. So more attention was paid to making them visually interesting as people were awaiting the feature or getting to their seats. These filmation cartoons were created for a much smaller screen and more often than not still black and white. Or the color sets weren't even close to being refined as they'd be in the coming decade. And mostly on screens that were about as small as monitors are today. In other words, overly descriptive scripts were probably necessary on these kids' cartoons because it probably was hard to follow on the majority of TVs back in the day. Anyway, that's just a stab at it on my part. At this point, you probably should get Bob Fisher to do some recollections on these cartoons. Well, at least to prove or disprove my hypothesis about why they were so over the top in the uh, talkative. And uh, Steve made a little uh, winky face. And uh, that's from Steve Rogers. I'd like to uh, thank Steve for bringing that to my attention. That is certainly uh, not something uh, that my first TV was probably 13-inch color. But yeah, that's definitely a question. I'll, you know, at the very least, I'll put that question to Dave. Uh, What was it like watching cartoons on the uh, sets of the time? You know, late 60s, early 70s. Does Steve have something here, or is he just speculating? My only counter to that argument, and I can't obviously can't speak for from experience as I wasn't born when the shows were made, is that kids sat pretty close to the TV, so I wonder if the size of the screen really mattered that much. But I will put that question to Dave. What was the experience like watching uh, these cartoons at the time? There, or not so even not even specifically these cartoons, any cartoon. Was it easy enough to follow the actions on the, on the television set to, at the time? And as for getting Bob Fisher back on the show to do some recollections, I'll have to throw that out to him. I don't remember if Bob necessarily had uh, fond memories of this show or not, or if he even remembers it at all. You know, I never really talked to him about the filmation that we focus so much of our time on the adventures of Superman with George Reeves, but I definitely want to get Bob back on the show at some point. So stay tuned to Twitter or the Facebook group to find out when that may actually happen. So with all that being said, I'm going to take a quick break, play a podcast promo, and then we're going to come back with War of the Bee Battalion, Finger of Doom, and the Toy Man Super Toy. Hang around, folks. Coming soon to the Fire and Water Podcast Network. It's It's Superman Superman Movie Movie Minute. Minute. Chris Franklin and Rob Kelly take you on a journey through time and space, examining five minutes at a time, the greatest superhero movie of all time, 1978's Superman. Coming soon to a podcast network near you. You'll believe five minutes can fly. Swell. All right, welcome back, folks. Uh, All of the episodes in this first segment were originally broadcast on October 7th, 1967. And we're going to start with War of the Bee Battalion. And this was written by George Cashton. And all of our synopses will be brought to you by supermanhomepage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. Crooks use the professor's growth rate intended to help produce more honey to grow huge bees to attack Metropolis. Some synopsis, huh? Well... That's pretty much it. You know, it doesn't really go very much beyond that. You know, just the name of this episode kind of reminded me of an old Power Records that I uh, had at one point. 
There was a whole bunch of Superman stories on it, one of which was the attack of the killer bees or something. I'm sure at one point that was covered on the uh, Power Records podcast over at the uh, over on the Fire and Water Network, but I haven't uh, actually checked. So, it, so Chris Franklin and Rob Kelly, if you guys are listening to this, I don't know if they are or not. Have you guys covered the uh, Attack of the Killer Bees story? Or if anyone else knows, you can uh, feel free to let me know. Save me some research. So anyway, like I said, giant bees. You know, the kind of thing you're going to do in animation because you can. So these giant bees, they take out a plane and here comes Superman to save the day. And he's uh, taking these bees and he's throwing them all around. And eventually the bees shrink and Superman has no idea what to make of it. I'm going to take these freaks to a laboratory where scientists can... Great Scott! This bee is growing smaller. So are these other two. They've all returned to normal size. What do you make of it, Superman? I don't know, but I've got a feeling we haven't seen the last of these giant bees. Up, up, and away! The only thing he is certain of is that he has not seen the end of the flying uh, giant bees. And why would he assume that he has seen the end of it? So we go right to uh, this little scientist, these older gentleman. Looks like he's going bald, he's got a great goatee. So here we find a scientist chastising someone for using his growth rate. You must stop this madness. I created the growth ray for bees to help mankind, not destroy it. Ain't that a shame, Professor. You want to make lots of honey, and we want to make lots of money. Boss! Someone coming! Okay. Get rid of him, Professor. And no funny stuff. Professor Soames, we're reporters from the Daily Planet. Reporters? Oh, dear. Miss Lane and I would like to ask you some questions about the giant bees that struck Metropolis. I... I'm sorry, I can't help you. Go away, please. Hmm. This whole layout looks pretty suspicious. You shouldn't have said that, lady. Who... who are you? Move. All of you. Now look here. Come on, move. You have no right to... Do as they say, Lois. They're in the driver's seat now. Come on. You too, Professor. What is all this? Giant honeycombs, Miss Lane. Built by giant bees. But why, Professor? Why did you create those giant bees? All part of a dream, Mr. Kent. My dream. To increase the world's production of honey. Now those hoodlums will destroy everything. And the criminal makes a bad rhyme about money and honey, and it just, it's cringeworthy, let's just say that. So Lois and Clark show up at the professor's house, and the professor is scared. He's worried about what can happen if he talks to them about the criminals that are holding him hostage. And Lois, you know, her reporter instinct is always uh, pretty clear, pretty on point. She smells a rat, and through her efforts, she gets both herself and Clark caught. And so they are imprisoned by the criminals, and it seems like Lois and Clark are locked in a giant honeycomb. And apparently, this is where we get some exposition about the professor's dream to increase the world's production of honey. 
and apparently the only thing he could think of was giant bean. It seems like an extreme solution, but it's the one he came up with. I mean, he could have just opened up a bee farm and harvested bees. He didn't actually need to make them into giant monsters. I can only imagine what a stink for one of these things can do to someone with a bee allergy. Make their head blow up like a balloon. So apparently this professor had used his growth ray on the bees to uh, make them huge, and this seems to have fallen into the wrong hands and more giant bees have been released. I don't think we've seen an episode yet on any adventure of Superman, whether it's George Reeves or this, where the scientist's invention has not fallen into the wrong hands for some reason or another. I mean, if this were a Superboy story, this could easily have been a Professor Potter story, and if it was on the adventures of Superman, if they could have done giant bees in live action, this scientist definitely would have been our old friend, Dr. J.J. Pepperwinkle. So, uh, Clark is going to suggest that they each take a different tunnel to find a way out of the honeycomb. So Lois will end up walking in a circle, and Clark changes into Superman. And once again, Superman looks a little bit different. He's not as bulky, he's as a little more angular. Takes up a little bit less of his chest, but here we go. Superman's once again fighting the giant bees, kind of throwing them around. So he l- lures the bees away, and he closes them in a cave until they return to normal size. You know, just, just gonna let them sit in there and uh, cool their heels until it's time to send them back where they belong. So Superman shows up and arrests the criminals and throws them against the wall rather roughly. You know, this Superman is a take-no-crap type of Superman. You know, even in the late Silver Age, Superman could still be a little rough and tumble when he needed to. And then after all that, Superman rescues Lois and the Professor. She asks about Clark, who she believes is still lost in the honeycomb. And then in true Clark fashion, he appears immediately after Superman departs. Yay! Where'd you come from? A little bee sent me. Yeah, that'll hold you until the police get here. Superman! Oh, thank heaven! You're safe now, and so is Metropolis. Send for the police. At once, Superman! Wait! What about Clark? He's still lost in there. Oh, I guess we'll just have to find him ourselves. Lois. Clark. What what happened? You'll never believe it. While we were trapped in there, Superman came from out of nowhere and rescued... And what I really liked is that, you know, Lois was showing concern about Clark, but Superman makes no, uh, pays no never mind to her question. He, he doesn't even acknowledge Clark, and I wonder if Lois thinks Superman is being rude to her. She'll never call him on it, but I'm sure she's surprised that he's not answering her question. He just, when Lois asked about Clark, he just flew away. And what's refreshing about the end of this episode is that there is no bad pun to finish it off. Lois just tells Clark about what happened and he knowingly winks at it. So, that was an alright episode, I guess. You know, not really a lot to say about Superman versus the giant bees, you know. He fights the giant bees, the giant bees shrink after a short period of time, and then we all kind of go on with our day from there. Let's move on, shall we? To the Superboy episode, Finger of Doom, and this was written by Oscar Bensal. Superboy finds cosmic rays from a rogue star have caused an astronomer to join a criminal gang, and the astronomer can now emit an energy beam to attack. Well, there's more to the uh, story than just that, so let's, uh, let's, let's get into that story, shall we? We have uh, an astronomer tracking a rogue star, and he's recording the star's frequency, and some happens to his equipment and it kind of fries him. And this is when Clark detects a rumble while he's sleeping. Now here's a fun fact. Clark Kent, at least the Superboy version of Clark Kent, not only sleeps with his glasses on, 
but also with his costume on under his pajamas. Hardly seems comfortable, but there he is doing a shirt rip with his pajama bottoms not on and his Superboy costume kind of sticking out from beneath his shirt. So Superboy flies off and Crypto joins him as usual. Like I said, faithful dog. And apparently even in the middle of the night, Crypto is going to get up to aid his master. So the red beam from the star stopped when Superboy and Crypto flew through it. And it resumed and blew up the observatory before Superboy and Crypto could do anything about it. Now Superboy and Crypto are just batting at the rubble from the observatory and knocking it into a pile. I'm not sure why the rocks seem to be attacking them, but there they are. They're falling at them and uh, Superboy and Crypto are creating a pile. No one could have survived that blast, Crypto. Poor Dr. Bailey. Come on, Crypto. We better notify the authorities. <laughs> You'll soon learn, Superboy, that nothing can harm me anymore. Now, Superboy reveals that the astronomer, whose name is Dr. Bailey, no relation to Michael, must not have survived and will, and he will alert the authorities as to what happened, you know, so, yeah, that's good on Superboy, that's him doing his job, he believes that the professor died in the explosion, and the best, the right thing to do is to call the cops, tell them what happened. Well, Superboy doesn't really know what's happening here, does he? The good doctor emerges from the rock pile. How they didn't notice him while they were batting at the rocks, I don't know, but... They didn't, and the professor is emerging from the rock. And now uh, Dr. Bailey has a glowing red fist and is acting evil, so we're not very surprised by that at all. What, uh, what happens when somebody makes contact with some kind of otherworldly force? Of course, he becomes mind-controlled by it and wants to become a criminal and rob banks. So the first thing Dr. Bailey does is find some criminals and promises them wealth and power, and then threatening them with his newfound abilities. We've never seen you before, mister. Why should we kick in with you? Because I can bring you wealth. Power! But if you try to double-cross me... Mister, you got a deal. And these guys are eager mostly because they like money and because they don't want to be fried by the uh, glowing hand of doom here. And so here we got a tugboat carrying some gold, and Dr. Bailey is using his glowing hands to steal the gold. Now, fun fact, this ship is called Ares, the god of war. You'd know that if you were any kind of student of Greek history, or even, or even if you watched uh, the recent Wonder Woman film or read some comics. So here is Superboy and Crypto responding to the SOS call. And Superboy recognizes the uh, head criminal as Dr. Bailey, who threatens a disaster and then attacks the ship. If you're watching this episode, I'm guessing your immediate question might be, why is Dr. Bailey acting like this? Is he evil by nature, or is the Rogue Star making him do it? My guess would be that the Rogue Star is making him do it because his hand is glowing. Red, and we're to assume that he did not have powers beforehand. So Superboy has pulled the sailors out of the water from the uh, great boat disaster that a Dr. Bailey caused, and then he picks up the gold that fell in the water, which the so Superboy collects all of that, the gold and the sailors, and leaves them somewhere on a dock. Probably, uh, well, it doesn't really matter where it is. What's important is that Superboy collected both the gold and fished the sailors out of the drink. And now trying to find out what happened to Dr. Bailey here, Superboy goes back to the rock pile to find out what happened. Sure hope this rubble holds the clue to Dr. Bailey's rare condition, Crypto. Wait, over there. Dr. Bailey's notebook. He was charting a rogue star. Could it be that cosmic rays from that star are giving him destructive powers and distorting his mind? Let's find him, Crypto! Up, up, and away! 
And that's why Superboy finds Dr. Bailey's notebook. You know, it's a good thing he wrote everything down, because Superboy learns about the rogue star, and then Superboy figures what I came up with is that the star is distorting his mind and making him commit criminal acts. So, being that this is the late 60s, lead is the answer to just about everything radiation-wise, and we're going to learn that lead blocks the rays of kryptonite from affecting Superman or any like objects. So Bailey's powers have no effect on the lead, and uh, Superboy uses a sheet of lead to negate the powers. Superboy puts the lead on his hands while melting the lead with super friction, and it looks like Superboy is rolling pizza dough. Hold him steady, Crypto, while I apply this lead. What are you doing? Melting this lead with super friction and encasing your hands to cut off that energy. No! No, stop! Stop! Hang on to him, officer. We'll be right back. Come on, Crypto! So, this is where we learn that the rogue star must be some kind of asteroid, and Superboy collides with it and beat it up, and apparently the Professor goes back to normal. It seems like his power source is gone, and the Professor is back to normal with no memory of what he's been doing. Eh? What am I doing here? What's this on my hands? When we destroyed the rogue star, Dr. Bailey, you were restored to normal. The rogue star? Oh, good heavens. That's the last thing I remember. You'll be okay now, sir. Let's go, Crypto. Up, up, and away! So, another, you know, decent outing. You know, nothing great, nothing memorable. I'm probably not going to be sitting down to watch this one, you know, on its own anytime soon. But I don't think I would turn away if it came up in some kind of rotation. So, let's move along, shall we? The Toy Man Super Toy, and this was written by George Cashman. The Toy Man devises a huge robotic insect that he tests by flying it over a local zoo, scaring the animals. Superman sets things straight and is about to grab the robotic insect, but Toy Man makes it self-destruct first. Holy smokes! Why'd you blow it up, Toy Man? It was only a test model, and Superman would have destroyed it anyhow. But the next one will contain a surprise for him. Kryptonite! Boy, you know what that does to him. I do indeed. Now, on to my big project. The Toy Man puts to work another robotic insect to steal for him. This one equipped with kryptonite vision. However, the gigantic bug is no match for Superman, who uses lead to block the kryptonite radiation and destroys the robotic bug. So, we're going to start out here with the uh, Toy Man in a mountain, I get, who has created a new toy and Metropolis is going to quake. The moment has come. Soon all Metropolis will quake before my latest and greatest toy. I sure hope it works, Toy Man. Let's find out right now. I was initially guessing that the Toy Man Super Toy was going to create earthquakes, but nope, it created a huge bug instead. And the writers of these two particular episodes were obsessed with huge bugs. Actually, I think huge bugs were an obsession for season two. Here we are, six episodes in, three of them. The Lethal Lightning Bug, the uh, B Battalion, and now this have involved giant bugs of some kind. What are these people trying to tell us? So now we're going to pick on the zoo. I guess we're going to leave the carnivals and amusement parks alone, at least for this episode. And I'm looking at this cage in the zoo here. All in one enclosure there is a monkey, a lion, a rhinoceros, I think that cat-like thing is a tiger, a giraffe, and some other animal. There is not a zoo on this planet that I know of that would put th- these animals. Why would you put anything in with a lion? The lion would probably end up as lunch. Just saying. I mean, I'm sure given enough time, the lion would take part in the giant shamorgasbord board around them. Just saying. So, the bug freaks out, the animals, and they're running around crazy. 
Clark hears and changes to Superman while the Toy Man and his henchmen keep an eye on things. So basically the first thing Superman does is rounds up the animals and the bug attacks and brings down the local football stadium. Or at least it tries to. Superman gets there on time to kind of grab the uh, bottom of the bleachers and just hold the stadium up. The uh, modern day uh, MetLife Stadium looks pretty awesome, but these guys sure couldn't draw it. You know, Superman telling people not to panic extremely comforted them if he put the stadium back up. And I'm sure they have no concerns now about the structural integrity of the stadium. You know, I often wonder about that after Superman kind of crashes into a support beam or something. What exactly does he do that helps keep that building upright? And is he qualified to work on any of that stuff to keep those buildings upright? So, something to think about for sure. So Superman leaves these people behind and then he goes after the giant insect. And Superman is about to catch the bug and Toy Man blows it up and confuses Superman. And it confuses the henchman. Now this is only a test, but the next toy will be laced with kryptonite. And apparently the Toy Man just kind of had some laying around. Maybe from leftover from the... Most recent adventure. Now here's another bug at the uh, nuclear fission plant. It doesn't have a name, it's just a nuclear fission plant. So the bug turns the kryptonite on Superman and he's down for the count. Apparently he was strong enough to tell us he was dizzy and weak. So the bug goes into the, into the radium vault and takes something out. I guess he plans to uh, sell it to the highest bidder or something. Superman finds the lead shield and puts some lead on the bug's head and that seems to stop the kryptonite from affecting it. Giving Superman a chance to uh, heal up a little bit. So that makes it kind of a fair fight between the bug and Superman. Anytime you can bring Superman down to the level of those that he's fighting, it's definitely going to be an interesting uh, case. Superman finds the lead shield out of the uh, bars of lead that the uh, creature was taken out of the vault and Superman man eventually kind of gets to a, a lever that causes the bug to explode and now superman will just grab toy man and his henchmen and then bang their heads together as only he can and he mentioned the toy man will have a uh, time to build more toys in the prison workshop is that really such a good idea didn't all these weapons come from the prison workshop why encourage him now for our ending great job Kent. if i didn't know better i think you were right there when it happened how do you know i wasn't eh, chief <laughs> Not a bad story, it has a comics villain, and Superman was challenged, you know, which is most of what I asked for in some of this old-time Superman stuff, so I'm going to put that one down and say I enjoyed that one. Now I'm going to take a uh, quick break, and I'm going to play a podcast promo, then I'm going to come back with The Cage of Glass, Crypto K9 Detective, and The Atomic Superman. Hang around, folks. My name is Bob Fisher, and I host a podcast called Superman Forever Radio. In every episode, I'll take an aspect of this character's long history and talk about it, from 1938 to the present day. From the comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, Superman has been part of my life for over 50 years. And if you'd like to know why, join me for each and every episode of Superman Forever Radio. So point your favorite podcatcher to Superman Forever Radio. That's Superman Forever Radio. SupermanForever.com Alright, welcome back folks. So we're go- Let me start off by saying all of the episodes in this particular sequence were originally broadcast on October 14th, 1967. We're going to start with The Cage of Glass, written by Oscar Bensall. And all of our synopses were br- brought to you by supermanhomepage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. Brainiac uses his shrinking ray gun to shrink 
the whole of Metropolis to the size of an ant colony. Superman is powerless to break through the glass shield surrounding the city, but escapes through a ventilation tube, knocking out Brainiac and returning Metropolis to its correct size. Alright, so here we go. We got Brainiac, and he's doing what he's been doing every time we've encountered him on this show. He's shrinking stuff. And we get our first look at our flying saucer over Metropolis, and it's Brainiac trying to uh, repopulate Mega with Earth people. Once again, he hasn't found a, a new plot yet. He's going to continue with his ray gun. First, we see a truck crash into seemingly nothing, but we know it's uh, the glass shell that Brainiac has put over the shrunken city. And apparently, Clark Kent has arrived in a police car. What happened here? I... I crashed into something. But what did you crash into? Yo! What hit me? An invisible barrier. Oh, what? And it extends into the woods. Holy cow. Calling all cars. All cars. Attention. Great train accident at City Line Road. Investigate immediately. Over. I'd better cover that story. Go ahead, Kent. I'll call for an ambulance. You know, right along with the police are normal for reporters. This episode doesn't seem to mention that Clark is doing one. He's just kind of there with the police. But Clark discovers the invisible barrier. Superman tries to crash through the barrier and he can't get through it. So, and then he finds that he can't get through the ground either. The glass is kind of all surrounding the city, both down and around and beyond. So Superman reports into the uh, disbelieving cop who reminds me of Chief O'Hara from the Batman series of the same time. Just He's got a little bit of an Irish accent and he's just clueless. You've got to be kidding, Superman. No, officer. The whole city is sealed inside a gigantic glass jar. Now you can see. Everything ends right here. Saints alive. Look! A monster! Brainiac. That's the answer. Brainiac Shrink Ray has reduced us to the size of ants. Good work, Brainiac. Now at last, Mega shall have a fully populated city. What are your orders, Master? Return to Mega at once. At once, Master. But they kind of look outside and they see Brainiac kind of staring in at them. Now, when you look at Brainiac, you see the area where Superman is. So you see the truck and the uh, street there on the outskirts of Metropolis. The area Superman is in looks huge, like, like it takes up a good part of the glass dome. It's just way out of proportion. So, uh, Dr. Heckler orders Brainiac to bring Metropolis back to Mega, and we're going to have another adventure on another planet. And, uh, we're going to find out that being in the bottle means that there's no air circulation, and therefore Metropolis is getting uh, pretty polluted. So Superman shows up at the Daily Planet office, and he tells Perry to advise the mayor to order cars off the street and to shut down anything that causes pollution. Right, Caesar's ghost. Look at that smog. Superman! Mr. White, advise the mayor to order all cars off the street immediately. Factories, homes. Ships and trains must shut down. Also, furnaces and power plants. What's what, what happened, Superman? No time to explain now. Now, why doesn't Superman advise the mayor? And why exactly does he have no time to explain? I will bet the mayor will want an explanation for basically shutting the city down. And I'm sure he'll want to know why his city appears to be in a bottle. I know they just didn't want to have to draw a new character, but this is really something Superman should have reported directly to the mayor and not to Perry White to, you know, send the information over to the mayor. 
So Brainiac is now some kind of hose hooked up to the bottle, and I'm not sure what it accomplishes other than give Superman a chance to escape. Superman gets out and finds a shrink ray on the wall, and isn't it convenient that the weapon has a restore function on it? Not knowing anything else, Superman knows which button to push to restore himself to natural size. So Superman is back to size, and he fights Brainiac, kind of knocking him around, and you're going to see during the course of these episodes that the robotic Brainiac really offers no physical threat to Superman. So after he destroys Brainiac, Superman disintegrates the dome, and then brings Metropolis home. My question would have been, of course, shouldn't he have disintegrated the dome after putting the city back in place? But this cartoon is not really asking those questions. The Superman restores the city while making some cringeworthy growth puns, and he miraculously puts the city back in place. Perfect. And now for the ending. Can I take you to dinner, Chief? I've discovered a new restaurant. Their specialty is delicious. Oh, really? What is it? Uh, pheasant under glass. Oh, no. Not that clock. I don't ever even want to see anything under glass again. Clark asks Perry if he could take him to dinner to a restaurant that serves pheasant under glass. Back to the bad references, and Perry just doesn't want to hear it. I guess after... Being under the glass, he doesn't want to eat anything that's under the glass. So, you know, that was a pretty good episode. I really enjoyed that one. You know, it's good to see Brainiac anytime, you know. Like I said, it's a shame that Brainiac really doesn't resemble any kind of physical threat to Superman. And I wish to see him do a little bit more than just trying to repopulate Mega. I really liked when he showed up in that one ape episode where he had no, uh, he wasn't really following orders from Dr. Heckler. He was just there for no reason other than the fact that he was there. And, you know, I like to see, uh, Brainiac tried to do something a little bit more than just function as Dr. Heckler, you know, Golden Retriever, bringing stuff back to Mega to repopulate it. I've talked about Heckler's motives in the past, you know, he rightly wanted to repopulate his planet, but he's going about it the wrong way, so. Let's move on to the Superboy episode, Crypto the Canine Detective. This is written by Oscar Bensall. When Rover, a performing circus dog, is abducted, Superboy places Crypto undercover. Crypto is soon captured as well, but the transmitter collar he's wearing is destroyed, leaving Superboy unable to locate him. However, Crypto's bravery and Rover's barking leads Superboy to the secret hideout where he captures the crooks and returns Rover to the circus. Remember how I mentioned in the previous segment that apparently we weren't picking on circuses and amusement parks? Well, that didn't seem to last very long, did it? Now we start here at the circus, and the uh, the Wonder Dog here looks like a poodle, and it's you know doing tricks for its uh, for its master here. Clark is at the circus with a young blonde boy. He kind of reminds me of Timmy from the King Arthur episode back during season one. Why? That rover is one clever food, Clark. As clever as Crypto, the super dog. Well. Hey, look at that! But then, uh, you know, and then Clark spots another performer. He shows up dressed as a dog, and he is completely unannounced, and uh, he blows a dog whistle, causing Rover to run away. You know, dogs can hear at a much higher pitch than humans can, so the uh, frequency kind of got into Rover's head, and he ran toward it, and basically right into the clutches of this guy, you know, taking advantage of uh, the dog's primal nature. So, of course, Clark uh, noticed uh, the uh, supersonic whistle with his own super hearing, and he changes into Superboy. So, you guessed it. Superboy responds to dog whistles. So, and now, an amusing note here. After changing to Superboy, he kind of, Clark throws his white button-down shirt onto a wagon wheel. I sure hope his name isn't, isn't on it, or somebody's going to need to know why they're finding Clark Kent's clothes just kind of laying around the, at the circus. The Superboy and Crypto fly off after the Boodle and the Dog Napper, who, by the way, shoved the dog into a bag during the show. Hopefully, he punched some holes into that thing, give that pooch some oxygen. So Crypto is eager to take care of this dog napper. He uh, is taking this kind of thing pretty personally, I guess. And the animation is showing that by 
putting an angry look on the dog's face. So, this guy has a bunch of tricks up his sleeve, which includes uh, setting dogs on a bunch of people standing over a canopy. Now, Superboy will grab the uh, post holding up the canopy, and he kind of leaves it to Crypto to take care of the dogs. You know, perhaps while Crypto was uh, taking care of the dogs and rescuing the people, maybe they could have worked together, and Superboy could have gone after the truck. It seems that a lot of times in these episodes, when Crypto is doing something, Superboy just kind of stands there watching his pet do all the work while he, uh, you know, takes a rest or something. I don't know. So now we, uh... I guess this is the police chief. He knows all about the dog napper, and he, uh... Nice work, Superboy. Thanks, Chief. But what about that dog napper? He's Dr. Canine, who steals dogs and retrains them for criminal purposes. Boy, how low can you get? Hmm. But only a pooch has been napped would know where they hide out. That gives me an idea, Chief. Crypto, let's go! Apparently, this uh, Dr. Canine retrains dogs for criminal purposes. And uh, get this. According to the chief, no human can sniff this one out. Only a dog can solve this crime. Yep, you heard that right. Only a dog can solve this crime. Okay, I guess this is the logic we're going with. And I'm pretty sure humans can find a lost dog, but not in this case, apparently. So Superboy uh, hatches a plot. Now get this, Crypto. You let Dr. Canine steal you and take you to his hideout. Understand? Because Dr. Canine might see me, I'll track you by the special transmitter collar. But I'll pick up the signals with this wrist receiver. Get it? Okay, boy. You're on your own. Good luck, Crypto! He uh, takes the cape off Crypto, making him seem normal. And what I mean by normal, now he's just, instead of a white dog with a cape, he's a white dog without a cape. So Superboy put the tracker on Crypto, essentially low-jacking him. So he's going to get caught by uh, Dr. K-9, and basically uh, Superboy is using his uh, best friend as bait. So the criminals here have a neat little van. Uh, Crypto kind of runs by it, and they send out a small net from the moving truck, and it just scoops Crypto up. And apparently here we can Dr. K-9's vicious dog helpers uh, help uh, retrain the new dogs. Yeah, I mean, the criminals are doing some retraining, but... Also, there's dogs that are training the dogs. I guess we've got dog teachers here. So you think Crypto is in place, and now you think Superboy's going to show up rather immediately, but Crypto is smart enough not to use his powers, but eventually he loses the collar in a fight with a larger dog, and it's destroyed. What's this? A tracking transmitter inside that new Pooja's collar. I'll fix that police plant, but good! So, Dr. K-9 discovers the tracker, and he thinks Crypto is a police pooch. Boy, is he in for a shock. Now, here's what I, here's what I don't understand, though. Why couldn't Superboy's tracking device allow him to see where Crypto was? Kind of like where a, GP, like a GPS signal. Why did he have to follow a signal? And why did he need the tracking device at all? Superboy could have hid in the clouds and looked down and followed the truck with his eyes until it got to wherever it was going and then swooped in from there. I understand needing to use Crypto as bait to draw out Dr. K-9, but beyond that, it should have been pretty easy to track the van without any kind of special technology. But my argument here is that Superboy could have just used that to know where Crypto was. He didn't need to follow a signal. So Crypto is now going to an obstacle course, which basically starts with a big chasm. Crypto jumps in with ease, as do the rest of the dogs. And now, as he's running through, Crypto whacks his pursuers with a mannequin's handbag and a lever, and suddenly one of these man-geniuses announced that Crypto fought like a super dog. Sure it did. Now Dr. Keenan says he thought the dog looked familiar. Sure. He's all white. Not the most common looking dog, but not uncommon either. But somehow, from all this, Canine 
knows that it's Crypto, and he sends his men after the, the uh, Dog of Steel, I guess we'll call him. So here they come, armed with some kind of club. Crypto shoots at them like a bullet, and Dr. K-9 makes off with Rover. But Superboy takes him out, and then we get our ending. Of course, he's no Super Dog, but uh, he is pretty good. Right, Crypto? That was a fun episode, but I really don't have much more to say about it than other than it was, you know, some classic Silver Age silliness. And I've said this before, and it bears repeating. Silly does not mean bad. But these criminals were the worst kind of dumb. And this is something Superboy really could have wrapped up on his own, but the show continues to find reasons to bring in Crypto. I guess Stolen Dogs is enough of a reason to bring in Crypto, but... Like I said, this should have been an easy, open and shut case for Superboy. He really didn't to bring his best friend in. And it's time to move on. And that will bring us to... The Atomic Superman. This is written by Winston Lyon. When a professor has Superman test a new explosive liquid by drinking it... Here I am, Dr. Graham. Superman, right on time. Now, what's this about a sort of way-out scientific experiment, Mark? Very simply, Superman, I have discovered an incredibly powerful new explosive. And, frankly, I'm afraid the explosive force of this liquid is so great that there isn't a safe place on Earth to test it. And you want me to test it for you? Well, I, um... I thought you might be, um, willing to swallow it. Swallow it? Yes. Since you're invulnerable, it isn't too much of a risk for you. And it would benefit scientific research. All right. I'll report to you soon on the results of the experiment. Superman finds when he speaks, he breathes fire. Well, Superman, what happened? I drank the... Great Jupiter! You're breathing fire! The combustor reaction must still be going on inside your body. Superman, I'm sorry. I'd like to tell Mark not to blame himself, but I don't dare try to speak. There's nothing for me to do but return to the Daily Planet as Clark Kent and keep my mouth shut. If the raising Lois is suspicious about Clark Kent... Get this, Clark. I just got a tip that as a result of swallowing an explosive chemical, Superman now exhales destructive flame whenever he speaks. Can you imagine? Clark, can't you say something? Hmm... Superman can't speak, and Clark Kent has laryngitis. Very suspicious, I'd say. Why can't you speak, Clark? Are you afraid of breathing out flame? Well, answer me. Look, Lois, it hurts my throat to talk, and I won't talk again until I've recovered from this laryngitis. Goodbye. I fooled Lois by using superventriloquism with my back turned, so she didn't notice that I never opened my mouth. But this can't go on. Sooner or later, Lois will surely learn my identity. I have got to find the solution to my problem quickly. Superman goes on to goes to Mercury and lives with the fire-breathing beings until he stops exhaling fire. You've saved my life, Superman. I don't know how to thank you. Glad I was able to help. I... Great Scott. I'm no longer breathing fire. That means I'm free to go home. Back to Earth. We are sorry to see you go. But please come back and see us soon. I will. Yeah, this is it, folks. The pinnacle of the new adventures of Superman. Right here.
No, it's not. Let me start out by saying this episode starts stupid and just keeps getting dumber. And it's going to start with Superman on his way to see Dr. Mark Graham, a friend of his who lives on a barren mountaintop. Apparently, he's in the midst of a way out scientific experiment. And when you see what the nature of this experiment is, it's a good thing he was way out from any population center. The fact that he's in an isolated location might be the smartest thing about this episode. So apparently, this guy has created an explosive so powerful that he's afraid to test it. Unless, of course, Superman drinks it. No, you don't need to readjust your earbuds. I did say that. He actually suggested Superman swallow this explosive material. And we have seen Superman swallow explosive material in the past. I don't remember exactly which episode of The Adventures of Superman it was. Maybe you can help me out, but Superman drank an explosive once. The whole screen shook as the uh, chemical uh, exploded inside of him. And then he had to save some criminals and he really didn't want to drink it again and he... Just basically told the guy, told the criminals to run. I'm not recollecting what episode that was off the top of my head. You'll have to figure that out for yourself and then uh, let me know by sending me some feedback to manuscreen at gmail.com. So, Superman is rather surprised by this request and he doesn't seem too keen on the idea. But, Dr. Graham, sweet talk Superman into it by praising the Man of Steel's invulnerability. So, Superman flies out into space to have his drink. Looks like he's on some kind of moon and he uh, drinks the explosive and the screen shakes and we hear an exploding sound effect. So we know it's a powerful potion. So, he was able to contain the explosion. I don't know if Superman has any kind of way to measure the force of the explosion, but he's just going to go home and he's going to go report in to uh, Dr. Graham what he discovered. But as he's talking to his uh, buddy Mark here, fire comes out of his mouth. And Dr. Graham is very apologetic for telling Superman to swallow the damn thing. But good old Superman, he didn't want to tell him not to blame himself because Superman left because he didn't want to incinerate the lab. And then we're going to go off the rails a little bit here. Yeah, I know what you're thinking. You're wondering if this particular episode was ever on the rails. Well, if we were clinging to the rails up to this point, we've gone off of them now. Superman decides that the only thing to do is go to the Daily Planet and keep his mouth shut. Let's go over that again. The man is breathing fire. How is going near people a good idea? Especially in his civilian identity. And how come he only breathes fire from his mouth? Shouldn't fire be coming out of his nose as well when he breathes? Questions, questions, I've got questions, people. So, Superman won't risk burning down Mark's lab by speaking, but he'll put the Daily Planet crew at risk. Especially since Lois can't go two seconds without bothering Clark about something. And we get to the Daily Planet, and oh, yeah, look, here's Clark at Lois' desk being spoken to. So, somehow Lois knows what happened to Superman. I don't know how she knows this. Only two people know what happened in that lab, Mark Graham and Superman. So, if Clark didn't tell her, I'm only going to have to assume that Graham did. How she'd even know to go there and ask him about Superman, I don't know, but... There it is. Superman apparently knew about this little... So anyway, of course, since Clark is saying he has laryngitis, he can't speak, and Lois is taking that road all the way to Clark Kent as Superman. Just a funny note on laryngitis. When we were kids, my sister and I used to love making my mother talk when she had laryngitis. We don't do it so much now, but as kids, we always did everything we could to make my mother talk with her squeaky voice when she had it. I know, we were bad kids. So, I see the road that Lois took to get to Clark not speaking equals Clark as Superman. I'm just not sure the road goes all the way to where it took her. I mean, she may have taken a shortcut or two. So now Clark decides it's time to leave, not because he's endangering people, but because Lois might figure out who he is. I think someone's priorities are a little skewed. I nearly forgot to mention, though, that Clark did speak in the Daily Planet office. With his back to Lois, he used some super ventriloquism while his back was to Lois. Good to know. He managed to find a way to speak without burning the place down. So, now, uh, at this point, Superman has decided he's got to burn out this fire inside of him. So, the first thing he does, he goes, tries to go into the ocean to put it out. Nope, that doesn't work. That just boils the ocean a little bit. Melting an iceberg isn't enough, and 
you know what, we're currently debating man-made climate change, but this world is going to suffer through superman-made climate change if he doesn't find a new solution other than melting the polar ice caps with his fiery breath. Now Superman is in space, where it's probably where he should have gone before. And then he goes all the way to Mercury, a home to the fire breathers, and they welcome him. Well, jeepers and golly gee whiz, Superman. Why didn't you think of that before? Instead of going to the Daily Planet that can keep his mouth shut, he should have just gone to the fire people right off the bat and just kind of let the situation play out the way he's going to. So Superman is going to help these fire people out. Their fire levels are the highest they've ever been, and uh, it's all good until one of them falls into the lava. The lava's not going to burn any of the uh, fire people here, but... I guess he can drown in it, so that requires Superman to dive in there and uh, take the one guy out. So Superman saves him, and then he fixes the medical device and saves the leader again. And while Superman is receiving thanks for saving the leader, he realizes he no longer is breathing fire. So he leaves the fire people behind and goes home. He takes his non-fiery breath and goes back to Metropolis. So back at the planet office for our ending. I apologize, Clark. How could I ever have imagined that you are Superman? I guess it is pretty funny at that. Really, Winston Lyons should apologize to me for this episode. My lord, this was terrible. And worse yet, somebody approved this. But, you know, I guess, uh, you know, thinking back, uh, somebody approved that Super Pup should be filmed. So, I guess when you compare it to that, this uh, fire-breathing episode looks like a masterpiece, but... Like I said, this episode just started off stupid and just kept getting dumber. And I have no idea who Winston Lyon even is. I can't even find it in an IMDb page for him, so I clearly didn't do much TV work beyond this. I did some other research and I found that he wrote a novel or two based on uh, the old 1966 Batman series, but oh my god, I'm just looking to get out, of, get out of this episode intact. So I guess it's time to wrap this one up. Next time, I'll finish Season 2 with the Superman episodes, Luthor's Loco Looking Glass, The Warlock's Revenge, the Halia of the Himalayas, and Luthor's Fatal Fireworks. And I'll also do the Superboy episodes, the Neanderthal Caveman Caper, and the Terrible Trio. And that'll finish out Season 2 of The New Adventures of Superman, The Adventures of Superboy. If you want to send some feedback on anything you've heard me say on this episode or on any other episode, feedback is always welcome. You can send that to manofscreen at gmail.com. If you want to join the conversation over at the Facebook group, just put the Man of Screen podcast into your search feed and the show should come up. Also find the show on Twitter at Mana Screencast. So, till next time, folks. Have a good one. Bye. The Mana Screen Podcast is produced by Mike Zemo, and all opinions expressed on the show are those of Mike Zemo and his guests and no one else. All music and sound clips used on the show are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All music and sound clips are copyright their original copyright owners. The Man of Screen is a member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network and can be found at www.twotruefreaks.com. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at twotruefreaks.com to shop there. If you do, the Two True Freaks get a little cut of what you buy and it doesn't cost you anything extra so you can shop as usual and help out the two true freaks at the same time email to this show can be sent to manofscreen at gmail.com and you can also leave the show review on itunes that will help others find the show thank you for listening to the man of screen podcast